This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted... Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing well. Yourself? I'm spectacular. Good. Yeah. And up here we have uh, Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. How are you? Good morning to you gentlemen. And guess who our, uh, our producer is today? It's not Jose Rodriguez. It's our old pal, Tommy Noel. Hi, Tommy. How are you? Hey, good morning. Good to be back. It's been it's a good. while. I haven't seen you all in months. I know. Months. Actually, it's, it actually, it's been years, Tommy. That was another lifetime ago. Okay. What year so this you? is a bad day for you is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> what day is it? <laughs> it's a bad day. That's what it is. No, oh, it's, it's a Because I get to spend it with the three of y'all. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's what Tommy was thinking all along. Boy, I need to be hanging out with those sports guys a little more often. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, that's what he, that's what the that's what the the uh, lockdown has been for Tommy. They're the definition of hip. Those sports fellows, those middle-aged men. Middle-aged. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll take that. I was going to say me too. Unless I'm planning to be 120, this is not <laughs> middle age. Um, okay. Uh, you're, a, you're a young 70, Kevin. A very uh, young 70. Ha, 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 ha. Hilarious. Um, all right. So in the news today, uh, Gary Patterson, a t- TCU football coach, has issued an apology for using the N-word um, at, uh, at one of their drills. And then apparently the next morning, uh, everyone – pretty much acknowledges as he did uh it was unacceptable uh to use it the 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 issue for me was not the fact that uh uh so much that he he used the word he did use it he he acknowledges that he was telling one of the players not to use it and then the next day says i didn't call anybody and repeated it it was not directed at anyone no it was but still I don't know that you can cavalierly use that word in any setting and expect to escape unscathed, nor should you. Yeah. To me, it always seems like I'm taking a match here and I'm lighting it and I'm throwing it in gasoline uh, when when you use the word. Uh, I I do think, uh, uh, and it's interesting because uh, I was reading something that it had written, was written by a linguistics professor at Columbia last year for the Atlantic. Uh, about this issue and about using the word and it was it was very interesting that to, to read that and 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 talk about the fact that uh, the word is so incendiary you know and uh, even in a even in an academic setting and, and what he was referring to is what a professor at a university uh had a class and was talking about james baldwin and, and his uh famous speech where he said i or the, the documentary about james baldwin which said i am not your negro and he said, actually, the word he used was the N-word uh, when he made that speech. 
uh, and the documentary changed it, uh, which, and so the professor brought up the point, you know, should they have changed it? Uh, this is what he said. Uh, and she, and a, and a white student in the class complained about it. Uh, the fact that she had actually used the word. So in, in my estimation, my, my problem is that, that Gary should be more sensitive to that, especially in an environment around a bunch of young black athletes. Uh, to, I, I can't imagine using the word around a bunch of young black, or around anybody, but especially around a bunch of, of young black people. Having said that, I think that uh, there are a, a lot of things that, that I've heard. Uh, Gary's practices and Gary's style is very confrontational. Uh, and I've had, I had a high school coach call me one time and to tell me he had gone to a practice and he couldn't believe it. Uh, but he never accused Gary of being a racist. Now you, you can complain about the other stuff. And I think that if, uh, if that doesn't suit you and that's what you don't want from a football coach anymore, well then you got a valid complaint. Um, but, uh, I, I never uh, heard anyone ever confuse, uh, uh, accuse him of being a racist. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I wrestle with this in, in this regard because um, there are times to me when, when we, I, like, I don't, I, I try not to even reference the word in any context because I don't like saying the, I don't like saying the N word because in some ways to me, it, it sounds like, um, like we're almost being silly about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh and I, I, you know, in, in context of, of what Patterson was trying to say in this specific incident, obviously he wasn't using it as a slur. He was, I don't think he was using it cavalierly, but I think it is just a reminder, like you said, Kevin, of how incendiary the word in general is. And listen, I, I, I think we all know there's a long, long litany of of, of racial and ethnic slurs that are out there and uh, nobody ever, uh, nobody ever uh, uh, runs away, so to speak, from, from using the full word when using the other um, ethnic slurs. But it is, this is, this is one that I think just, it's the word you don't speak aloud. And, and I think we've just kind of, I think we all respect that at this point. Let me by large, yeah, people, you know, they're the counter argument you will always hear, which to me rings hollow, but is, well, but you'll hear this segment use it in music, or you'll hear uh, these young people use it, uh, you know, rather casually in conversation. And there's, there's a significant difference here. Gary Patterson is a white person in power. White people in position of authority or power, there is never a time to use that word, ever, because that carries more emotional baggage. And, and then, you know, I, I know we don't want to get into the difference on white supremacy and white supremacist here, but I mean, that there is a difference. And um, just institutionally, for a white person, who is in a position of authority over minorities to use that racial slur or any racial slur is really unacceptable in these times. And, and again, it's not, 
and it doesn't matter how it's used, it brings up other connotations because of their position, is, is what I would argue. Yeah, here's here's the uh, um, the question I want to ask you guys, and 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 just to discuss this briefly is that uh, look, uh, there are lots of of issues that have come up now, and 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 a lot of them, maybe most of them, are really good that we're discussing out loud this year, and and I and I have written about some of that, and you guys have written about it. I think it's all good, uh, and, but of course, there's a lot of people out there who don't want to hear any of this. And, uh, and so I, I'm, I'm always sensitive to the fact that I, I don't want to take something at, that, that is for good and something that is good for our, our, our society to discuss and, and to bring into the open really uh, useful things that can maybe can further discussion that can, that can even, you know, bring to the surface things that in a way that we can have some healing. I think that is all terrific. I think though, when we have a situation with Gary Patterson, where uh, clearly some players were, were, were offended. And uh, of course the, the player who brought this all up is a little disingenuous. If you read what he wrote on, on his uh, Twitter feed, in which he talks about the fact that, that Patterson had made fun of him because he'd wished his girlfriend you know, uh, on girlfriend day, uh, you know, happy, you know, he, he made fun of him for that, which is a very Gary Patterson kind of thing to do. And then when challenged, you know, Gary's a little socially awkward. I'll just put that out there. It's one of the reasons why Gary is still the, the football coach at TCU. And when challenged by that player, uh, Gary got right back in his face, kind of jumped him and said, I'll send you back to Pittsburgh. He's from Pittsburgh, Kansas. Um, and, uh, and then he, and then he, then that's what he added the thing about you've been saying this in the room and I don't like this. Uh, my problem is that I see a lot of people are going to look at this and say, he didn't call anybody the N word here. This is ridiculous. You know? And then, and then that's when you, you start to get, but into I, I wa- I, okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kevin. Well, I mean, to, to me, this is when, and, and there were even a lot of uh, uh, several of the players on the team. I don't know how many, but on Twitter, there were several who said, Hey, listen, Coach, coach didn't mean anything by that. That was, uh, that was just something that, that we're, we're taking things out of context here. This is not good. All, all people hear is N-word, coach said it, bang, this is, this is bad. And we're not looking at the context, context at all in all of this. And, and, and I agree that he, they shouldn't use the word. I, it, it, it just, it's too and I have no problem with him being called out for it and, and having to apologize. I, I, right. But I think he did, and I think that, you know, Maybe maybe Gary understands it a little bit better now that there are there are some things that he, no matter what the context, as his apology said, you you just can't say because it is offensive, and it it is all perception right now anyway. That he said what the headlines say are he said the word, uh-huh. boom. Players players threatened boycott. He said the word. We ran pictures of Ranger players before opening day kneeling on the field. You and I were both there, Kevin. Nobody kneeled during the national anthem. Everybody stood up during the national anthem. The picture accompanied the story that I wrote about it. Nobody bothered to read the story. They just saw the they just saw the picture, saw that it was that, that the words national anthem were there, and assumed, and then decided that they were offended that the players kneeled during the national anthem. No. So we get we get so caught up in perception that we don't ever uh, understand the full context. 
I think this is a fine learning experience for everybody to go through, that it doesn't matter what context you are saying this in, this is an offensive word. And I will say, as, as, as you know, I, I've used my background a little bit, you know, you can't, don't compare people to Hitler around a Jewish person. Um, there's nothing funny, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing other than pure evil that's associated with that word. And I, I get that the same context comes from, from the African-American community, that if you say, if you say that word, it of itself is, is simply offensive. And there's nothing that compares to that word. Well, here's another one. It's Gary Patterson's program, right? He runs right. the team. Yep. No one uses that word in any team setting. How about that? Well, that's what Gary – and that was Gary's rule. That was what he had told this player. He, we, we had this rule. We're not to use it. No one's to use this word, and, and you've been saying it. And, that's and you have the, to enforce it. Well, yeah, then you don't just bring it up. You enforce it. You know, right. you do something about it. So, again. Yeah, it's uh, – you know, it's, listen, uh, and, and, of course, I don't know if you all had been keeping up with Iowa and Kirk Ferentz there and what happened in his program, and the, and the strength coach was – Fired and, and you know, and the university hired a uh, uh, an outside firm to come in and look and see. Look, is there are there legitimate complaints here? And they determined that there were. That that's a long-standing uh, issue there in the, in the Iowa program that players, black players, felt uh, a little disenfranchised. They felt like that uh, they were being uh, held out, you know, and, and uh, uh, for stiffer penalties. That they were uh, being uh, I don't know, they were looked at a little more stringently than, than the white players were. I, I, my personal feeling is from, from reading that story and reading the stories about all that, it, I, I don't doubt. I mean, obviously you had some outside entity come in and look at it and they, and they substantiated some of that. I, I do feel like some of that's just the fact that it's Iowa. You know, how many black people are there in Iowa? There, there's, it, it's a very small population there. I, I think that the, the players probably felt in, in that town, not only, you know, as we know, if you go to any campus in America, any major school, any certainly any Power Five conference, uh, blacks are in the minority on campus. They they're the majority in athletics, certainly in football, but not on the campus, and and probably not in the towns that they're in, in a lot of those places, and certainly in Iowa they're, that they're not. So there are lots of issues to work through here, and and, and different things uh, to do. At TCU is in Fort Worth. It's a small school. That's that's a very small. Uh, uh, it's a small school to begin with. I think, you know, the, the number of blacks in, in, at the, on TCU's camps, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I'm sure it's like most schools, not, not a majority there. So, so the players do, for the most part, um, you know, feel like they are in their own little universe there. Uh, that, that's probably true, though, at, at almost any place. My, my son was on the baseball team at Hendricks College. He felt like that was his fraternity. You know, that was they don't they don't have a Greek system that at that D three school. So that's that's what he felt like. You you kind of identify with that group. Uh and sometimes uh some of the things that happen and go on in those in those situations are are good, sometimes they're not. So it's it'll be a, 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 as as Evan said, it'll be a learning experience for for Gary Patterson. He'll, he'll get I think through it should all be this. a learning experience for every coach. I mean I I, I think that the, these are the kinds of things, awkward as they may be and as embarrassing as they may be, if everybody takes these, these examples of, look, even if you're trying to say this in this regard, you, th this is one place you don't go. And if coaches 
um, at, at every level, get that reinforced. These are the kinds of conversations and the kinds of incidents that have happened lots and lots and lots of times in much uglier circumstances, but nobody's ever felt the power to actually speak out about it. And, and now hopefully people are starting to at least learn. Yeah, I'm for that. All right, let's move on. Uh, we have, uh, speaking of ugly circumstances, we've had the Mavericks start to, uh, to the season. That's, that's pretty ugly. Uh, I'm just keeping score for Tommy here on headlines. That I want to just put down, you are in favor of learning. Is that right, Kevin? Yes, I'm in you're, favor of learning. Yes. You're very pro-learning. Okay. Yes. Well, mostly other people. I, I, I know so much now. This head, this You've reached the point where you, can can, only you can't retain so it anyway. Stuff is leaking out of my ears. There is so much knowledge wax. up here. We that have is, noticed that. Is that. Wax. that comes with your age, Kevin. We have noticed some leakage from your face. Yeah, yeah. It's you know, it's it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. You wouldn't believe it. Uh, but anyway, hey, can I can I interrupt for a second? No, no, you may not. You may not. I just Tommy strike can we put this to a vote. Says, can we mute put this him. To a vote? Mute him. Mute him, Tommy. I mute him. Can I do that? I don't know. Yes, you can do that. Not mute me. Oh, yeah. Yes, you can. Does, no. does everybody want to hear about the leakage from my face this week? Oh, no, we do oh, not want to hear gosh. about leakage. It's gross. Okay. I had a COVID test. Oh, great. All right. And it, and it came back negative. We're all glad about that. We're all yes, glad to hear that. It was quite the experience. Of course, you're using up somebody else's test, a test that could have used for someone else. It was really seriously at risk. Instead, you took their test from them. I was exposed, and I was a little bit concerned. So, yeah, you were Tommy's okay. had Tommy. You had a COVID test or two. I have, yes, um, yes. I'm grateful that the the company we work for pays for them. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even think about charging. I, I haven't had one yet, but I didn't even think about charging the company for it. That's a great idea. It's, May I just yeah. get everybody I, I, in the I, house. I think but. it's just it, it's uh, it's automatic, but um, yeah, it is automatic. But yeah, the, uh, it's not fun. The whole, the whole thought was, you know, if you're if if you're exposed to anybody that's had this, just go and get the test. You know, you were exposed by, by Matt Hicks, uh, Rangers uh, radio voice. Well, I was in the Rangers radio booth for a few minutes one one day before one of the games, and. Um, uh, then on Friday, it came down that Matt Hicks and, and radio producer Ted Nichols Payne had both had had gotten COVID and they had symptoms. And it's been a rough weekend based on what Ted has said on Facebook and and the couple of texts that I had with Matt. They they've had some rough nights. And I happened to wake up that morning with a sore throat, and it kind of lingered all day. And then I found out about these two guys testing positive, and I was like. I better go get myself checked out. It would, it's a little bit stressful when you hear that, but um, uh, fortunately it's okay. We're hoping both these guys are on the road to recovery here, but all I really wanted to interrupt and say is, look, if you're exposed to somebody who has it, don't take chances. Just go and get the test. Even if you, even if you've been wearing your mask and all that other stuff, just go and get the test. Thank you for that public service announcement. Have a grant. I'm in favor of the test. You're in favor of learning. I'm in favor of the test. Yeah. Now, on to the Mavericks. On to the Mavericks. Okay. So the Mavericks, right out of the gate, they are 0-2. Uh, they're, they're playing, even as we speak, uh, this is before they're their, their number three game. But uh, not, they, they played Houston, scored, I think, uh, I believe it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 160 points in the first quarter. 
against the Rockets. Uh, it was like watching an all-star game. Uh, no defense. Uh, everybody just putting up shots. They scored a lot of points. They blew, I believe, a 15-point lead uh, and lost that game. Uh, and then they lost all – and they built up another large lead in the, in the game against the Suns. I believe that was a 14-point lead and lost that, not as dramatically uh, as they lost the, the game. Uh, their first game back against the Rockets, uh, but still the same. And this has been an issue with the Mavericks. <laughs> That's the funny thing about this. What, it's been four months or whatever it has been since the last time they played, and they picked up right where they left off. Uh, they, they, they don't have a closer. You know, it's an amazing thing to watch this team play. And and this is talking point. about the Rangers or the Mavericks. Well, I know, that's, what that's what it seems like, right? Uh, but this is the same thing I said about the team last time before before everything shut down. I, to me, this team needs a veteran presence. It needs a guy who has some chops, a guy who's who's been in the playoffs, someone someone who's been to the maybe been to the finals, who understands what it takes in these kind of situations and what you have to do. And I was uh, shouted down by some people, like uh, maybe like Tim Callishaw, who said, ah, they should just experience this on their own and go ahead. And it's like, to me, you're wasting time on this team. This is, a, this is a talented team. You have two really talented young players, both under 20, both 25 or under. And, uh, and I think what's the, what could possibly be the harm of bringing in a veteran presence, a guy who says to these guys, this is what you do, and this is how you do it. Uh, because I think to think that you're going to wait for this team to, to gain that kind of experience at the rate they are right now, you know, this year, obviously they're in the playoffs. They backed into the playoffs. They're not going to go very far if they, if they don't understand what it takes to close out a game. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm struck here and there's this, like you've had in baseball and, and all sports now there's, there's just some split on like pure analytics versus, you know, you, you can't meld both. You have to be on one side or the other. And, and, and to me, this is a great example because if you look at it strictly from an analytic standpoint, they had the highest, this Mavericks team has the highest offensive efficiency rating in NBA history. Okay. They also rank 29th in clutch offense. So how can you have the highest rated efficiency rating in league history and be that poor in the clutch? You can't, you can't separate the two. You, can't, you have to put that together. And this is not as efficient of an offensive team as the numbers indicate because of their inability to close games. And, and what happens is offensive efficiency, they're highly efficient, highly efficient at one pace in, in a free-form style. But what about when you have to run a half-court offense? What about when you have to change the pace and maybe not score in the first or get a shot in the first, you know, seven to ten seconds and actually move it around and, and, get, a, and get a shot at any point in the shot clock you want? That is what offensive, true offensive efficiency is really about, uh, in, in my mind, not just a scoring. It, and this underscores it. What they're, I think now they're two and ten. In, uh, in clutch offense late in games. Uh, yes. And, um, you know, the, as bad as the Houston loss was, the Indianapolis loss was worse. I mean, losing that 14, 15-point lead at the time they did. Um, 
you know, there's a lot going on here. And Kevin, you're right. I mean, it, it, it's a younger team. Another interesting point is, like you're saying, get a veteran presence who's been in there. And I, I think that would help. But people aren't fully addressing the point either. And that is, I think Luca's getting a little bit too much of a pass on this uh, because he has the ball in his hands. Uh, it runs through him. Uh, even if he doesn't score, he's facilitating others to score, and it's his job to set everyone up. I, I think this is where we're seeing as, as outstanding as Luka Doncic is, he has not matured in that area, in that element of his game late in games yet. Uh, you would expect him to get better there, but this really underscores uh, he's not doing it late in games. Now, defenses are throwing different things at him late in games than they do the rest of the game and all this, but great players adapt and are still effective. And, and I think he's still working through that. You're seeing uh, some more poor decisions and, and turnovers by him late in game than, than you do in the flow of the game. And, and, and I think that's an issue. I think that's why Rick Carlisle hasn't addressed it more directly. Because to address it more directly – you would have to throw Luka Doncic under the bus a little bit, and, and I don't think he wants to do that at this age of his, uh, this stage of his development. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, and I, and I, I think what's happened here is a little bit. Of, it reminds me of of what people would say about Nolan Ryan when he was pitching, and and why did why did such a great pitcher have such a mediocre record? Uh, if you look at all those years he was with the Angels, well, one of the reasons why he was not playing on a great team, uh, but. Lots of times, the way Nolan Ryan pitched, and every every guy he's trying to strike out, so every every player is a battle, right? It's, Nolan Ryan wasn't trying to induce ground balls; he was trying to dominate hitters and strike them out. And so the the hitter or the the fielders behind him would just end up kind of just they felt like they were part of a show. They were just I'm, we're just watching out here. And so sometimes you would have sometimes because they, they they'd be so kind of. Uh, mesmerized by it i guess you'd say that that they'd end up making errors in the field the ball's put in play they'd make an error and then the next thing you know there's a walk and an error and maybe a hit and then then he gives up a couple of runs and it's then it's and then he loses and, and they're, they're not engaged and i think sometimes on, on uh, with luca because he does so much and because he is such a phenomenal talent at such a, a young age i think i don't think the rest of the team's very engaged i, I think they feel like this isn't really our show it's luca's show and, and we're just we're just kind of in, in his universe a little bit, and he's not advanced enough, and just exactly what you said, to do all these things. We we can see that because uh, for one thing, look what a bad free throw shooter he is. Uh, as Tim Kalashaw pointed out he can kick a, a ball in from thirty feet, but he can't make one from the free throw line. You know, and and to me, when a guy is the you know, and, and we certainly you know LeBron James was not a great free throw shooter either. Uh, so, uh, you know, and of course, uh, Shaquille O'Neal was a terrible free throw shooter. These are guys who are great players and centerpieces of their, te- of their teams and centerpieces of championships, and yet they couldn't do that. But it's my it's my feeling that 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 Luca, the fact that he has not gotten much better at that part of his game, which is a very easy and, and fundamental part of the game to improve, says a little bit about him as a basketball player. He needs to understand. You, when you go to the line, you've got to make these shots. You know, you, you can't be you can't be going five of nine from the free throw line. That's that's not acceptable. Uh, and 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 teams know that. And they're and they're and as you said, they're being very 
tough with him physically. So he's drawn a lot of fouls, uh, and 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 you simply have to make them pay for that. So I, I yes, I do agree with the fact that he he needs to be held more accountable. But I, I do also feel like as young as he is. I, I am kind of giving him a little bit of a pass, too. I feel a little bit like Rick Carlisle does. How much do you really want the guy to do? Because right now he's carrying the team uh, on his shoulders, at a, and, and there's very few guys in the history of the NBA at that age who've been asked to do that. And this team hadn't worked together that long. I mean, Porzingis missed time. Uh, Doncic missed time with the ankle. Uh, this group to, just hadn't been together that long, and then they take a four – month break within the season and come back so I, I understand the, the lack of continuity there and, and real quickly to your uh, free throw point in the clutch uh, exactly right now now some people hate James Harden's game but how often is he at the free throw line in the clutch and how how many does he hit and how many games do they win late because of that and very quickly to me the one perhaps the best example in NBA history is Carl Malone Carl Malone was a very poor free throw shooter early in his career. He was, he was still dominant physically, but he was averaging about 21 points a game and getting fouled at the end of every game, and it was a hit-and-miss proposition, and they were losing a lot of close games. So what does he do? He devotes his time to improving on free throws. Then he gets to a point, because he improved his free throw shooting, he went from a very good player to one of the league's most dominant players. He went from a 21-point-a-game score to a guy who scored 29 to 31 points a game strictly because you could no longer just put him on the line uh, to shoot free throws. And so Doncic has another step he can take, and, and that's a very tangible place you can point to to say, look, he's a great player. There is no mechanically, athletically, there's no reason he can't improve in this area. And if he does, I think that's, that's the next step for him. Let me, let me just say this in summation of the whole thing on, on Doncic. I mean – Evan, we can't hear you. Oh, my God. I'm muted Yo. still. Now Can you hear muted. me now? Yeah, that's better, Evan. I'm Much sorry. Better. I had to mute myself to get the dog out of the room because he was starting to break into a howl. Um, the uh, on Doncic, I mean, this to me, I just look back. You know, the when we talk about him being a potential generational talent, how many generational talents took their teams into deep playoff runs early in their career? There were there were flaws in their games too. Um, and and uh, the the question I think for for me still comes down to. This is going to be a year when the Mavericks do go to the playoffs. It's going to be a year unlike any other, um, and, and they're going to be back in the playoffs, and they're going to be a good team. And, yes, Kevin, I think the answer is going to be if this team is going to go deep into the playoffs, it's going to need it, – it's not going to get there no matter how good Doncic is. It, it's not going to get there solely on his back. There's got to be a third option, and that's what the Mavericks – focus has got to be for next year yeah i think yeah, they they've had tim hardaway jr who's who's been better than i thought he was going to be i'll give him that and he's been a, a remarkably a pretty good defensive player uh but i i still don't feel like that uh that hardaway is i i think he they'd be better off with him coming off the bench uh and and being that being that offensive spark to do that i do think that they need to add uh, another another player of that type you know they there are things they could do to make them a little tougher 
certainly better defensively, uh, things they can do to improve. Uh, but uh, I, I don't I, – I feel a little bit like, listen, man, you, you, you lucked into an unbelievable player here. You know, you did – they did a great job of finding him and bringing him aboard, and, he is, and, he's, and he's young, and this is – these are good times ahead. I don't want to complain too much. Uh, about all this, but uh, certainly there are things that they can do to kind of facilitate his improvement. And, and I, that's why I feel like a, a adding a, a veteran player who you can go to in those situations, who, who Doncic could go to, and you're not just always requiring him to do that. So, all right. Yeah, and, and very quickly, it's going to be trial by fire for him in the playoffs because uh, it, it's hard to envision a matchup other than Clippers, Mavericks in the first round. So that means – if Kawhi Leonard isn't on Luka Doncic the entire game, he's certainly going to be on him late in games in the clutch. Right. So they, they have a very brief period of time to improve what happens. And, and who's to say they're going to ha- even have other games that are going to be close? That's the other thing. You can talk about how they have to get better late in games. But, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it may be a position late in games where it, it doesn't really matter for them because they're so far ahead. So we'll, we'll see how this plays out, but I, th- that is their Achilles heel. And it's only going to be accentuated with Kawhi Leonard on Luka Doncic in the first round. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure involved in all this. And, you know, that's the thing we, we didn't really talk about free throw shooting. Uh, listen, that was, you know, and basketball was my worst sport, but uh, free throw oh, shooting sports for us, Kevin. Yeah. Rank, 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 rank them. They're you, all right. They're all kind of like right here. Rank. They're like, I was an unbelievable hockey player. Unbelievable. Yeah. Didn't they call you slap shot Sherrington? The, the slasher. That's what they call me. <laughs> the slasher. Uh, but, that, but free throw shooting was like, Oh my gosh. You know, it was like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it's all right here. Right. It was, you know, I, I'm not, I, I hated it. Note that Kevin is pointing to his dome. When he's I don't, yeah. All it's right all here. right there in your head, and that's where it's a bad space for me to be. Okay, so now let's let's talk about the, the, the Cowboys uh, who have, have still not uh, resumed practice. They're just kind of they, – they, they met, and they were all in the building on Sunday, which was really nice. Uh, uh, something I, I wanted to ask you about, uh, uh, David, was that uh, – that the, the owners are talking about moving out the opt up uh, opt out date to Wednesday, uh, which is tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be Thursday now. It's going to be Thursday. It's Thursday. Yeah. And they, and they're doing that because players are opting out, uh, and the longer that they have to make that decision, that, that that's bothering them. You know, we've had eight Patriots opt out. I think that says more about Bill Belichick, frankly, than it does uh, the virus. But uh, at any rate, eight uh, Patriots. The Cowboys have had three so far. They're fullback and, and two, two guys who are, are fighting for roster spots. Uh, not, not too damaging so far for the Cowboys. Uh, first of all, what, what were your feelings about this, the fact that they moved up the opt-out date? Would that have been something that it might have been uh, problematic for the Cowboys? Could they have lost more? Or could they still? Obviously, they still could lose more. They still could, yeah. And they, they have a couple, about 48 more hours here to, to work with it. Um, you know, that was always, that date was always in flux because it was technically seven days after the two sides actually signed and ratified the amended agreement for COVID. So it was always a moving target. It kept being moved back because uh, the, the league and the union didn't actually get everything written down and signed uh, 
until yesterday. So initially it was seven days from that point, but it took them longer to ratify everything than they thought and put it down in writing. And yeah, uh, the, the owners and teams were saying, well, wait, now we just keep extending this. And I, and I think a concern was, well, one, the longer you go and you see more of your peers do it, the more you start thinking about doing it, which I would say from an individual standpoint isn't the wrong thing to do. You should think about it. Uh, but two, you know, I think they were, con- I, I think the league was definitely concerned. They, they looked at what happened with uh, the, the Marlins in Major League Baseball. Uh, what happened with the Cardinals, Pittsburgh, and they started going, well, my gosh, if, if we extend this thing another week, let's say two or three more teams are hit by an outbreak in baseball, uh, and now let's take it to the, the worst-case scenario, baseball shuts down. How many guys are going to be uh, you know, getting out of this? So I think they wanted to – they were trying to argue that, well, look, Players have had time to think about it uh, while we ratified this. They've had more time than they would have originally. So you got to work with us. You've got you, to you know, put this date back. We all need some certainty as much as we can get in these COVID-19 times. And so the, the Players Association agreed uh, to shorten the window. It's going to be Thursday. But in return, they, you know, they put in there, and rightfully so, that if, that if someone – uh, realizes or it's discovered that they do have an acute you know, condition after this deadline, they will still be allowed to go out basically with a doctor's note. Or if anyone in the family uh, is hospitalized or is in, in, in bad shape, they can also opt out as well. So they still have uh, a narrow window to opt out after Thursday. Um, but the League and the Players Association agree that, well, you know, everyone's had enough time to study this and, and reach their comfort level by Thursday afternoon. So that's going to be the date. What's the difference here between opting out and then just simply saying once the once practices have begun, yeah, I'm not showing up. I, I, this is too much for me. Well, now if you do it when practices start, now if you opt out, um, you get either, you don't get, you receive $150,000 if you just had concerns about it and you don't have any pre-existing condition or, or you get 350000 if there's a medical reason for you to do it, your contract and all of your benefits are basically frozen in place and roll forward. So um, you get your contract, what you were going to get paid this year, you get it next year and, and accrue the time going forward and all that. After Thursday, if you say, well, look, you know, now I'm just not comfortable with this. Uh, I'm not going to play. A league, a team says, let's breach of contract. You're under contract. So you're breaking your contract. You get no more money and you have no contract going forward. So if you don't do it by Thursday and, and you don't have uh, an, a condition that presents itself or a family situation that presents itself after Thursday, um, basically you, you're just breaking your contract and you lose your you lose your contract, you're in breach. So you can see why there have been some marginal players, guys who are on the bubble, who would obviously want to take advantage of this now at this point. Uh, Certainly not all of them, that is the case. Yeah, Uh, and and that's management's argument. But my counter argument to that is 150,000 is still a lot less than they were going to make. 
Now right. you can say, yeah, you're betting on, okay, if you're on the bubble, you can go, well, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. And okay, I'll go ahead and take the 150 this year and we'll give it a shot next year. Uh, I'm not going to say that's not weight in there, but you know, things like that are weight in every decision. Management weighs those sort of factors into every decision it makes on who to pay and how much to pay and that sort of thing. So, so why shouldn't a player look at his spot on the roster and determine and, and, and gauge it against very valid health concerns as well? I mean, this is, this is not something that they shouldn't consider. I mean, you should consider it in context of where you are in your career uh, and, and what it means to you and your health. And so, yeah, some of the players who have done this um, we're going to be fighting for roster spots or, or, or may not have made it. But then you have others, like you mentioned, like New England. I mean, Dante Hightower is one of the top linebackers in the league. He's leaving a lot of money on the table by not playing this way a uh, year. Same with Chung, their safety. Uh, I, I would argue it's not a good financial decision by and large for these players to opt out and do it, which to me – uh, just lends the argument that they, these are legitimate health concerns and they just don't want to put themselves in that position. I've, I, well, the only issue I've got with any of this is that a player who gets into this and decides six weeks in or four weeks in um, that this is not working out, that there's anxiety around COVID, uh, that he's seeing some outbreaks, and he decides that he wants to opt out for the season at that point in time, uh, to be potentially in, I don't care if you don't I, if you don't pay that player the rest of the year. That that's fine, but in breach of contract or to have no contract going forward, that seems a little bit punitive in the in the midst of a of a public health crisis. I I know in baseball the the idea is guys can opt out at any time they want. They don't get service time. They don't accrue service time going forward. They're not paid going forward. But it's not like their contracts are voided and. That to me seems a little overly punitive on 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 the part of of the NFL. Well, you know, and here here's the the issue too for me is that I think these players want to know, hey, how are we going to do this? Yeah, because I mean, you what, don't know what kind of crap show they're about to get into. Which, yeah, and know. so if you're making the deadline Thursday, well, they really hadn't even gotten back and done anything. They haven't been to any practices. They haven't done anything. We got no idea how they're going to run all this stuff. And now you're, but you're making me decide right now. It's like, and I, they've I done weight rooms. They'll, they're doing weight rooms and shifts now, and you can't really have more than 15 players at the facility at any one time. So right. you're not, you're not even close to looking at what it's going to be when they assemble for a practice, not even close. Yes. So I, I think that's, that's the part about this. that's all disingenuous for me is that, you know, you're not allowing them to see what it's really going to be like, you know, and you're not allowing them to see, are, are, is there a good faith thing here? This is a little bit like MLB, even though they had 101 pages of, of protocols and everything, it was pretty much all dumped on the players to, to make sure they did all the right things. As in, you know, when they, yeah, but I'm, I'm told that by the time between the edition that I got and what was actually ratified, there were another 12 pages added. So, so it was 113 pages. 113 pages now. But, uh, but, but, but well, let me say this really quick. Is that, is that, you know, one of the things that was so crazy to me with 113 pages of protocols is that, as we saw in the first, uh, with the very first outbreak with the Marlins, was, was the question like, hey, the players can just vote whether they're going to play or not. Like, what do you mean the players can vote 
whether they're going to they're going to play or not. That that should never have been put in the players' hands. That that should have been that should have been a decision by MLB at that point all along. But instead, they, they it was it, it was a decision by MLB. They they were informed of the number of positive tests. The players decided that they wanted to play, but MLB still had final say on that. And MLB approved the idea of them playing um, because of the number of players that had quote unquote been isolated at that point in time. You know, the number of positive tests that they had at that point in time wasn't nearly as great. But there's complications with all of this. I mean, what we're seeing with MLB is that you can have a great, in theory, system in place. They've had to address testing issues, which they've, they've, they've addressed. They've had, there may still be further issues, but I think they've made the attempt to address those issues. Um, there, are, there were issues with travel, which we didn't see – until teams started getting on the road the minute the Marlins went and played exhibition games. Um, and all of these things come up over time. Uh, that's why I think to make the NFL players decide um, before the season starts, whether they're in or before practice even starts, practice, that uh, they're in or out, is um, it's problematic to me, especially with the number of players you'd have in a camp. It's so much larger than, than baseball the close quarters of, of drills, uh, much easier to have um, the kind of – we've seen two teams in Major League Baseball have 18 and 13 positive tests over the last week. You can't think that that's not going to happen in football, and the numbers are going to be larger. Not when you don't have a bubble, and that's and that's an issue. That's something I want to talk about now. Uh, you know, I know people have said – well, look what look what the NBA is doing. Look, look what the NHL is doing. Look at the, the success rate they're having. They're not having positive tests, you know, uh, and and they're able to play these games. Boy, uh, why why aren't isn't the NFL and why isn't uh, MLB doing the same thing? Well, I think we may have talked about this before. I think it's just sheer numbers and and time. You know, uh, an NFL roster. You know, if you're fifty something players, where are you going to put all those players? Where are you going to find a place that you can put that many teams, that many players, and and expect to play? And then and then to expect these players, I'm going to tell you something. If you told the NFL right now, all right, for three months you're going to have to live in a bubble, you know, and, and that and that's that's it. I you'd have half the league opt out. You know, three months. Yeah. Well. It, it, yeah. You're right. Five, yeah, five it, months for regular season. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm, I'm from my training camp to regular right season. It's five months. Yeah. So that's so that's that's outrageous to think that you would sequester people like that. That's just that's just not going to happen. Players aren't going to do it. I mean, you know, Evan's writing. A, Evan wrote a story today about the fact that the that the Rangers had to spend one day in San Francisco with nothing to do. You know, you can imagine what that would be like for for months on end. That's just not going to happen. Guys, people aren't going to do that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know very many people who would say for their jobs. Okay, I'll tell you what. For five months, I'll just I'll just sit in this one place and I'll I'll go I'll go over here. I mean, I guess you could say in the lockdown, we've kind of done that a little bit, uh, but we got to be with our families and be with our loved ones. We're not in a place where all we see is our teammates. You know, every day. It, 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 well, and it's it, yeah, and I mean the the situation with the Rangers yesterday is was basically, hey, you're on the road, you're not around your family. It's just one day, I, I realize that. But the idea is you've got about a 700-foot square it, – it's like being in a cell, essentially. you got a 700-foot square-foot room 
please don't leave it. Please don't go outside. We're not going to punish you if you go for a walk, but please, please, better idea would be to not go outside. A very nice cell with better room service, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right. I but mean, but I mean, no, you're right. I mean, you are there. There is an enclosed feel that you just can't. But again, that's why you know, NBA and NHL could see a light to the end of the tunnel to their season. Major League Baseball and NFL hadn't even started their seasons, and so. I would also argue psychologically that is a much harder sell uh, for people as well because, you know, NBA and NHL are both going, well, we don't really like this bubble thing, but, I mean, we've already finished two-thirds, you know, to 70% of the season. I mean, yeah, let's go ahead and finish this. Uh, when, when you haven't even started – that's much different to say, okay, are we really going to go all in on this or, or should we go all in on this? I mean, so it's, uh, that, that, that's another element too. I, I don't think you can underestimate. And simply the roster sizes are, are not comp- comparable. The, the Major League Baseball teams went to camp with 60 players for this shortened spring training. How many players are NFL teams going to take to camp? Is there a limit? Is there a Well, cap? it's going to be – this is counterintuitive. They're actually going down from 90 to 80 but they're but they're expanding their practice squads and 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 they're making it easier to move between uh, the injured list and the practice squad during the season because but, they understand that's going to be needed. Yeah. But 80, 80 players, eighty players in, in camps times thirty two. I mean, you're talking about twenty five hundred players. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, well, then then the, the thing about the NBA. The well, the NBA too is is doing the thing where after the first week of the playoffs, uh, yeah, then the then families can come in now. We we you can you can have people around you. So it wasn't like there was you're being uh, uh, sequestered for an extended period of time. It's just just a couple of weeks. It's just it's less than a month probably, really, which is bad enough. I mean, listen, I've been in those situations where I've been away from home for for three weeks, and three weeks is a long time. Yeah, it, it feels like forever. Uh, so. Uh, it, especially when you're in an environment you're not used to, uh, that's uh, that that's that's tough. Uh, so and look, to let's ma- face it too: in NBA and NHL, no one is going to articulate this, but a lot of players and a lot of coaches are going. Well, we're not going to be there for three, four months. We're going to be there for about six, seven weeks, and then we're going yeah. out in the first round. You know, we know we can't win a title this year, so we're just going to finish our season keep our contracts intact, get the full money that, you know, we were supposed to get, be as competitive as we can. If we go another round, great. But we know, you know, a, a lot of teams went to the bubble in Orlando knowing they're not going to stay there until, what, September when this thing is done. Uh, they, they know there's a very good chance. And two weeks from now, two and a half weeks from now, they'll be coming back. Right. Well, but here's the issue, too, is that when we look at the NFL and we talked about what's the environment going to be like, look, uh, you know, I, I think people were, were seeing that the, even what's happened in MLB so far is that obviously the, the, the Miami Marlins, uh, the, the, the Florida Marlins got involved in something where guys went out and partied. We've had reports that the, that, uh, the car went out to get milk, I thought. Yeah, that's I thought when I went out to get milk. That's right. They all I, I, I think the bigger mass. issue with some of these players has been even the idea of congregating in a player's room, which you would think normally would be, hey, great. Responsible. They're not going out. Yeah. They're sitting down. They're talking baseball. They're just hanging out. 
you know, for a lot of Latin players, traditionally somebody in that town uh, from the opposing team has had a family member cook up a bunch of food, players sit around and talk. And that is, that's traditionally what you would love to see happen. But that's being discouraged too. That is um, a lapse in judgment here, a lapse in um, adhering to the protocol. So I don't know that the strip joint stories or the casino stories are confirmable, but even minor slippage in, in adhering to these protocols clearly took place and- Formally responsible behavior. Yeah. yeah. What was once considered responsible behavior is now put in a different light. Yeah. And, and then here's the other issue, though, is that it, at least in baseball, uh, certainly in baseball, less, it's more, it would be more of a problem in, 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 uh, in basketball, but they're in the bubble there. Baseball is not in a bubble. We've seen what it could do ripping through a team, right? We've seen the, the, this virus rip through the Marlins, rip through the Cardinals. What happens in a football team when a guy – all it takes is one guy – who goes out and does something, then he gets in practice. Now, you know, you're handling other guys. You're, you're obviously you're, you're touching other people out here. You're making contact with people, uh, constantly making contact with other people. How fast would a virus go through a football team? Now, that, that, that's my issue with all this is that, is that once you get going and you don't have control of the, of the process, you, 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 you have people who are outside your control who are taking part in their lives and someone gets exposed, it'll go through the team much faster in football than it did in baseball or, or, or it could in any other sport. Yeah. I mean, again, I, mean, offensive I think line. we all said that. Yeah. I mean, and I, we've said that all along that that was the, the highest risk that football was presented with in, in getting through this season is just the close quarters, the amount of physical contact that, that, that takes place. And we've seen real life, real time examples with the way it has gone through baseball teams. And, and, and in both these cases, there were staff members on both these teams that contracted the virus. And the way I'm reading this is this is a, these were staff members that may have had contact with players, close contact with, let's say, maybe a trainer or a therapist of some type. You do that, and somebody's laying his hands on thirty-five football players over the course of a over the course of a day. You know, in in one day, you've got half the team infected, and then the next day, it's entirely possible that through contact, you've got a full team. Or the head, that, the head trainer of the Minnesota Vikings, who put together their response plan, contracted coronavirus just before everyone reported. Now, that's actually a good time sequence for them that he that they found out he had it before everyone reported. Imagine if everyone reported and he, had, he, he would take part in all the physicals. At that point, you're right, he would have had contact with every player on the team. So they, they averted what could have been, uh, you know, the first major outbreak, uh, really. And, and it's because of the, of the trainer. And again, healthcare professionals, we've seen it, uh, you know, away from sports. I mean, they're on the front lines. As cautious as they are, they come in more contact than other people, and, and you have the same thing on these training staffs now for all the sports leagues. Yeah, that, that's my my issue with this is that I guess what opened my eyes a little bit was it it doesn't take very much for the thing just it's like wildfire. You know, it just takes a little spark here to really run, and 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 if 
if that many players, if 17 players can be infected on, on the Cardinals in, in, a, in a sport where you can socially distance, what can happen on a football team where it's impossible to socially distance? You know, that, that, that's, that's to me going to be the real issue for football, even if it happens. I just feel like we're going to see in these training camps, once practices start, we're going to see how this is going to be tested. Uh, we'll, I think we'll get an idea very quickly that whether this is feasible or not. And, and, I, and my bet is uh, I, I just really have a hard time believing that's going to actually happen with football. I, 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 the one thing I think I've learned uh, or had reaffirmed for me during this whole process is public health and player health be damned. We're going to try and steam forward as hard as we can, clearly just based on money. And so uh, what all logic may tell us, it's not going to surprise me if the NFL just marches through with this purely based on a financial decision. Well, you, you, can, you can certainly try to force that. But if a team is coming up, I mean, how many games have to be canceled before it all becomes invalid? You know? I don't know. The Marlins had seven. The Cardinals are working on seven. The Phillies had six, I think. I mean, it's – yeah, you're, I know, and, and that's what you're going to have in baseball is you're not going to have all all 30 teams play 60 games. Now in football, what happens if you have somebody play 14 and somebody play 12? Uh, I I don't know, but you could very you could very I could see that situation taking place. But how does remember that, how they does built a schedule? They built a schedule where every team, the first four games, it's two home and two road with the belief that, well, we may have to delay the start of the season and make it a 12-game season instead of 16. And that addresses it at a certain level, but it doesn't address it from October on. It doesn't address it like, okay, we'll say there's not an issue in September, and then the issues start in October. So, yeah, there's – you could only – and that's the problem all these leagues, are, you know, run into. You could only plan so many contingencies. You know, you can you can be aware of maybe it could unfold a different way, but you can only plan and reshape your schedule to a certain point. And if the virus creates an issue outside of that, you're at the mercy of the virus. And that's what, uh, no matter how much money you have, uh, I think the NFL is going to see that at some point of the season. Yeah. All right, boys. I think that's going to have to do it for us. Tommy's falling asleep. Uh, we didn't talk about baseball. Oh, baseball? Do we have to talk about baseball? It was intertwined in that discussion. You you talked about the you talked about the the you know being in San Francisco. I thought that was our baseball talk for today. Oh, okay. Oh no. All right. Real Joey quick. Gallo will still be good next week. We can talk Joey, about Joey I, Gallo next week. While I was not paying attention to you guys, I yeah. was doing some research here, and yeah. um, I'm I'm going to tweet this out as soon as we're done. But uh, I just went back and I looked at the 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 last uh, over the period of time that Joey Gallo has amassed his last 500 plate appearances, which yeah. dates back to August 1 of 2018. Obviously, he missed a great deal of last year, but in that time, uh, of all players with at least 500 plate appearances. Joey Gallo ranks fifth in Major League Baseball behind the following players. Christian Yelich, Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, and Alex Bregman. He ranks ahead of both Cody Bellinger and Nelson Cruz and Mookie Betts. Those are the three guys behind him. Um, uh, my point here being is that what Joey Gallo has proved 
over the last two years, because this dates back to August 1 of 18, what he's proved over the last two years is yes, when he's healthy, um, to back up what Chris, what Chris Woodward said that sounded a little bit crazy the other day, he's as much of a threat as any of the greatest players in baseball. And um, if he stays healthy, that's, that's great news for the Rangers. I think that if the Rangers feel like he's an MVP player, as, as I wrote on Sunday, they need to put him in an MVP spot. And right now, MVP spots are one of the top three spots in the lineup, not where Gallo is sitting in the number four spot. I think, I think what you have here, Evan, is, is a situation where management is trying to keep Joey as happy as possible. Joey likes hitting cleanup, uh, and and I think that's one of the reasons why they, that the, the manager has gone out of his way to say this is a great player. This is maybe the most talented player in baseball, and then, and, that, and that might be true just because of his sheer size, his speed, his arm. Uh, his uh, uh, ability to play several positions if, if he had to, um, and certainly his power. Those are all things that contribute to that package. Uh, I think the fact that they're more than willing to say that uh, it lends itself to the question of what can we do to keep this guy here? Because he's got two more arbitration-eligible seasons, and then he's a free agent. Uh, his agent is Scott Boris. Uh, as we have seen over the years, Scott Boris is very loath to re-sign his uh, players to the same team. Uh, Evan, let me ask you this question. Should the Rangers, at this point, right now, as, as we speak, be talking to Scott Boris, talking to, and, and saying, what can we do to sign Joey right now to forego those two arbitration seasons, give him a big contract right now? I think they should. I don't know that they've engaged in those conversations, but I think they should because – um, when he's healthy um, and what he's shown in right field is he is a franchise player. Uh, there are extenuating circumstances based on the possibility of a strike after 21. I think we're going to see um, some kind of adjustment in the free agent market based on where the economy is going. Uh, and Joey lost out on well over, this was going to be his first big year of salary. He lost out on close to $3 million this year. So I think there might be some motivation on his part to um, be at least willing to listen. Uh, and I think if I was the Rangers, given that even if you try to trade Joey Gallo this summer, even if you say we're blowing this up because of the way we started and we don't have any other players in the lineup other than Joey Gallo, I don't think you're going to be able to bring back the package for Joey uh, at this point in time that you might be able to. Get him signed to a long-term deal, and you might possibly be able to trade him next year if you if you decide to blow it up then. But yeah, I, I'd be willing to do. You know, in in some regards, I think what the Yankee, what the Marlins did with Giancarlo Stanton is they gave him whatever it took to get him signed long-term. Was well out of market range, and then when they needed to trade him, they traded him. So in other words, it wasn't going to be their concern long-term. Uh, and maybe that's the way the Rangers need to approach this because uh, I do think what we are seeing is the ascent of a guy who is every bit the equal in talent of guys like Bellinger and Yelich. And uh, as, as much as his at-bats this weekend were impressive, listen, every throw he has made from right field since this season has started has been a laser and right on the mark. He's made to play right field. He is, he is a, he's, a, he's an MVP caliber player in right field. 
Yeah, it's it's a very it's all very interesting to me about where the Rangers stand and what they're going to do. And I think that uh, I don't think there's any question in my mind that they need to be trying to re-sign him right now. That's their only hope because he's got two seasons where he's arbitration eligible here. So uh, I, I think to to say to him, this is our good faith in you. We believe in you. We want to give you this contract now uh, because uh, as time goes by, here's the other issue for the Rangers. If Joey looks around and says, hey, man, what are, what are you doing with this team? When are you going to add some, some more talent to it? Uh, why, why wouldn't I go someplace else where I can make a lot of money and play on a, on a contender? I'm not right. going to sit around here and wait for you to build something. Uh, there's, there's, it's not like there are prospects bubbling up to the top here ready to go. They're not. If this team is going to be competitive, it's going to have to go out and spend some money. Uh, a, a lot of money. I, I do, but I do want to say the one thing that I think that, that has got to happen with Joey, and I think when I read the manager's comments on Sunday when he answered this question in relation to how good Joey could be, and he talked about Trout, and he talked about Mookie Betts, I think it was him laying the groundwork to go back to Joey and saying, look, right now you're our best option to produce runs, and we need you to get as many potential plate appearances as possible, and you do that in the top third of the order. Um, he's got to be comfortable in that position because baseball, baseball has shifted. As, as I pointed out in the column, of the last 10 MVPs, only one has been a number four hitter, and that was Bellinger, and he was surrounded by a star-studded lineup. You could afford to hit him fourth. The other guys need to hit in the top third of the lineup to get the extra 20 at-bats, the extra 10 at-bats that may – make difference in games over the course of the season in a 60 game season that may only make the difference potentially in two or three games but these races are going to be compacted uh, I'm not say, saying the Rangers are going to be in that race but theoretically if they are the, the ability for Joey to turn two or three games around extra games in the number two or three spot I think is significant yes that's correct all right Evan we've talked about baseball Hey, hey, can I bring up another topic so we can go to two hours? <laughs> yes, David, what would you like to bring up? I want to hear about Kevin's hockey career. You know, he, Gate listen, Sherrington. Didn't none they call of us, Boom Boom. None boom of us Boom Sherrington. We'd have to have Bill Nichols on to have any of us talk about our <laughs> hockey experience. I think Bill still plays hockey, for that matter. Uh, I, I, actually, I think Bill I, played I, a little too much hockey. I don't know that Bill's me. playing hockey anymore, but I do know that his brother-in-law, uh, Mike, was playing hockey up until – because it's, it's contagious in that family. Uh, was There's a lot hockey. that's contagious in that family, let me just tell you. <laughs> I hope Nancy's not listening to this right now. <laughs> oh, bless his heart. Bill Nichols, one of my all-time favorites. Bill, I'm still waiting for Bill to reply to some of my emails and texts, but you know, what the heck? It's okay, Bill. Never mind. I didn't really mean it anyway. So, All right, I think that's going to do it for us for now. Uh, I think we've effectively ruined Tommy forever doing this again. Uh, oh, I had fun. This is fun. <laughs> That was, that was convincing. <laughs> it's different because I'm used to being in the studio with y'all. And that that sounded kidding. exactly like my wife. Oh, oh. my gosh. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll send you guys off with hey, here's the perfect send off for uh, today since I always like to bring my mother into the conversation. Gentlemen, I, I received an email from my, well, a phone call from my mother because her computer was on the fritz um, of her shopping list last week and I've been using Instacart 
to get stuff out to her because I can't get into the assisted living facility. And these were the first, this, these, this was how the shopping list started out. I want three boxes of mini ice cream cones, two bags of M&Ms, three things of chocolate chips, uh, and dental floss. <laughs> well, she's covered all the major the proper things. order. And she's dental care. I mean, what, what, what do you want from a woman? Come on. All I know is I want to be 93. If that's my shopping <laughs> list at 93, I'll be happy. Evan, there's no way you make it to 93. Some, if, if, even if you could live that long, someone will kill you by then. That, there's no question in my mind. I think, I, think Gina will, I, I think Gina probably will, but and nobody would blame her. So. <laughs> Certainly not us. All right, that's going to do it for me. David, why don't you close us out? And that will be our latest broadcast of the Paul Ballsy <laughs> podcast with Dallas Morning News. And please come back. See you all. Bye.